in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when, they, when he is lured and enticed with his own desire. Then desire, when he has conceived, gives birth to son, sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be conceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed your extra hour of nighttime. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that on this uh, new day, the first Sunday of November, the, the first Sunday of our, uh, our studying through the book of Jacob, our love for you would grow and abound and that we would be uh, pushed more and more to get close to you, to see our circumstances for what they really are, and to recognize your hand in our lives. So Lord, we ask that you would call us deeper and that we would go deeper. We bless your work in us today, and we ask, Lord, that each one of us would hear you calling. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ages and ages ago, we were having a conversation on one of our Friday night meetings about role models and heroes. And someone asked me, hey, Pastor David, do you have any, like, living role models? Like, whenever I hear you talk about the people you admire, they're all, like, super dead. So... Uh, history fan that I am. So I asked, do you have any living role models? And I have to confess that this morning while prepping for this, as I was, as I was thinking through all of the various uh, stories and Bible stories and history stories and all these different stories that relate to our topic today, that I do, in fact, have a living person who I admire incredibly. So let me tell you a little bit about her story. Many people who live in the world live a completely normal life until all of a the sudden they're not. And something very suddenly breaks into their experience that challenges everything they've thought is true and reveals everything that's in their heart. You, could, you would find this like constantly throughout the Bible, right? People who are just living totally normal lives until all of a sudden, bam, some huge trial hits them. And they have to decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? Uh, our upcoming retreat is called Crossroads. And often this is how we find our, our lives. We find ourselves at a crossroads where we have to choose, will my life go in this direction or will my life go in that direction? And the story that, I, that really gripped me 
then I said, yes, this is one of the living people who I would absolutely positively call a, someone I admire, a role model, a hero. The, the defining moment of her life, what she is known for, the reason she has a Wikipedia page, came when she was 13. And if you ask, what on earth can happen to a 13-year-old girl that can make her a freaking hero, someone worthy of admiration, someone who can show God's power and his glory in ways that the whole world goes, wait, what? If you don't recognize the name, you should. Her name is Bethany Hamilton, and she is my hero. Anybody recognize that name? Show of hands. Okay, some of you are a little bit too young, probably. So she was born in 1990, and the great love of her life is, was and is surfing. Okay? Oh, some of you are like, oh, I know this story now. At 13 years old, and she was not like an ordinary surfer. She was like a really high-level surfer, a national-level surfer, a championship-level surfer. I don't know how one competitive surfs. I have some ideas in my mind, but I don't really know what it's like. But she was a, a top-level surfer, 13 years old. And at 13, you don't really think that the defining moments of your life will happen to you yet. You expect they'll come way in the future, and you never expect the defining moments of your life to come from a tiger shark. But for Bethel, Bethany Hamilton, the defining trial of her life was a 14-foot-long tiger shark that bit off her left arm. Now, if I lost my left arm to a tiger shark, I don't think I would ever go in the water again. Okay? It is a, it is a nice, simple rule of human psychology that when things hurt us, we avoid them. There's, there's a Chinese uh, proverb that a person, that a, that a person who, um, a person who's bitten by a snake spends years being afraid of ropes. And that, that is so much like what we actually experience. We, we tend to avoid uh, things that have hurt us in the past. That, that could be a whole sermon right there, honestly. With, before two months had passed, I, I want to say it's about 40 days after the bite, Bethany was back in the water. She just could not stay away. And within a year, she was competing again at the national level. And of course, this was such a, a stroke of courage and uh, character and perseverance that, that she imme almost immediately gained national attention. ESPN named her the, com the comeback athlete of the year. Uh, she, she, got her, she started to write her own books. She got her own movie. When she, was, when she finally got, when she got married uh, later on, it was uh, the subject of a lot of attention. And basically, she went from being someone who is known but kind of peripheral to being someone who is a big celebrity. And through all of it, when they were, she was asked, how could you do this? How could you keep going? Like, how do you get back in the water after that sort of thing? She, she always redirected those questions right back to Jesus. Because Jesus was such a big part of her experience and why she did what she did, that, that this was what like, kept her going during the times where she was tempted to quit. What would, a, what would a living hero of mine look like? That's it right there. 
This passage, if you say, well, what is the kind of the thesis statement of this passage today? It's really James 1.12. One of the things I like about the book of James, sometimes you'll hear me slip and call it the book of Jacob because his name really means Jacob. But um, one, of the, one of the things I love about this passage is it has so many uh, Twitterable, tweetable uh, verses. Verses that by itself you go, yo. If you're looking for uh, Christian tattoo ideas, the book of James, great place to look. And one of the, one of the ones that really stands out, that is kind of the, the whole, um, the heart of the entire book of James, and especially this week, is James 1.12. And it says, well, let's read it together, James 1.12. Blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So who is blessed? And by the way, this word doesn't just mean blessed, it means happy. Who is happy? The man who has been steadfast under the trial. So in many ways, James is a book of trials. And this word trials, it's actually in the Lord's Prayer. He says, uh, lead us not into, and that word gets read temptation, but it's just the same word that means trials, but deliver us from the evil one. And what that phrase tells us is, there are going to be times where we will experience trials and temptations, and those two things are basically the same thing. Trials and temptations are basically the same thing, and uh, actually, James slash Jacob goes on to make that point in various different ways throughout the same chapter. He says, well, let me tell you what some of those trials and temptations might look like. Let me show you how each trial is a temptation and how each temptation is a trial. But in doing it, he always says, the most important thing I want you to remember is that your struggles are not meaningless. Say that again. The most important thing to remember is that all of our struggles are not meaningless. They are taking us somewhere. They are producing a result in us. They, they might break us, but if they don't break us, they will most certainly make us. The Lord is forging you, and he's forging you in the fire. And the end result of who you are will, will end up way better than you are now. If only you are willing to endure and work with him. So in dealing with this, he starts talking about what that testing might look like. So he says, uh, Jacob, a servant of God, this is verse 1, and of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, to the 12 tribes in the diaspora. So what he's talking about when he says 12 tribes in the diaspora, he's writing this to Jewish people, okay? He says, sorry Greeks, sorry Romans, maybe I'll write you a letter some other time. But his mission is to Jewish people, he is writing to Jewish people. He's also not writing to Jewish people in his hometown. Uh, he lives in Jerusalem. He's writing it to people who are living in, uh, in other parts of the Roman Empire. These are Jewish people who are around uh, idols, they are around the, the non-kosher meat markets of the Greek world. They are probably not terribly well understood by the people around them. 
they are be, they are being quite possibly alienated from the the pagan Gentiles and also being alienated by the Jews who are living under the Judaism of their day. There are people who feel like they're without a family. They are suffering trials. And these are the folks that that James is writing to. So he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Boy, would that make a great tattoo. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. People ask, hey, highs and lows of your week? You go, hmm, highs. I'm at trials this week. Hey, uh, I didn't have enough food. I had a 10-minute lunch break. Trials. Who does that, <laughs> right? Why would we rejoice when we meet trials of various kinds? Not only that, can you imagine if you read that, that word trials the other way? And you said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet temptations of various kinds. Like, oh, yeah, what was the high point of your week? Wow, I was so tempted. There was a day this week that I got so angry, I really wanted to flip a guy the bird, and I didn't. Such a high of my week. I finally managed to not flip the bird. And, and th- but this is really how, how he's encouraging us to think. He's encouraging us to think as if our trials and temptations are producing good fruit in our lives. They are making us better versions of ourselves. They are leading us toward where God is trying to shape us to be and become. It, it requires a, sh- a shift in our thinking and feeling to see things the way that, that James describes them. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is not a very pleasant word in English. Like, if someone said to you, hey, can you define steadfastness? You're like, uh, right? So I, I would prefer to use a different word, like perseverance or endurance. I think of this word, that the, the Greek word is uh, hupomone. It's actually a very popular New Testament word. But, it's, it's, but really, if you ask, well, what is steadfastness or perseverance or endurance? It's that, it's that quality that makes you keep running until you finish the end of your run. You're like, oh, man, I'm exhausted. I can't, I can't keep going. And you're like, but I'm not stopping. And you keep going right? That quality that got Bethany Hamilton back in the water, that's endurance. It's saying, this is not going to defeat me. I am going to keep running. And if I collapse, I collapse. But you know what? It's going to take collapsing to stop me. That's hupomone. That's endurance. That's perseverance. It's the determination, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your emotional state, Regardless of what intrusive thoughts are getting in there, you say, I'm going to keep going. Endurance. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect, or to put it a little differently, that you may be mature and whole, lacking in nothing. In other words, God's purpose in allowing you to go through trials and temptations is to bring you to completion, to bring you to adulthood. Um, a, a long while back, sequoia trees were starting to die out. They were starting to say, man, why are there new, no new sequoia trees growing 
in California. And what the, they studied it, why, why none of these big, enormous, darn, darn close to indestructible trees, like wh why were they just not coming up? And what they discovered was they were too good at, pre at preventing forest fires because sequoias need fire to open their, the seed pods of their trees. And only in that fire can they grow and come up and begin to reach adulthood and, and be continued. And we are the same way. And what you'll find is the, the trials and the temptations that we face in life are pretty constant. No matter who you are and what you face in life, you will face trials and temptations. And that is a, that is a feature, not a bug. Because we people, we Christians, come to full completion. We come to full maturity through being tested. Now you might say, well, my life is pretty good. Am I really being tested? Yes. Anybody out there, what was the, what was the number one time of testing? What was the number one time of trouble in the history of Israel in the Bible? Anybody? What's like the worst book of the Bible? The one that's most likely to make you take off your glasses and put your hand firmly on your forehead. Exodus? I would, normally I would say Judges, right? Judges is kind of the biblical low point. It never gets worse than Judges. And do you know what the primary problem of the book of Judges was? People had too much food. I kid you not. Whenever things got bad, people repented and came back to the Lord. But whenever things got good, they would start worshiping all of their neighbor's gods. They would have a lot of grain, and they would start worshiping the gods of grain. They would start having wine, and they would start worshiping the gods of wine. And then God would go, Oi, are we really going through this cycle again? Oftentimes, the people who experience the most temptation are the folks who have the easiest time of it. And if, you, and, if this is what you, and if this is what your life looks like, if you're like, well, you know, uh, live with my parents, have plenty of stuff, nothing really going wrong, everything is good. And these are the times that, that, you will be really, that, that it will be really hard to motivate you to get into the presence of God. It will be hard for, for you to be able to, uh, call, to be pushed into greater realms of faith. To be able to step out and say, when I couldn't help myself, God helped me. And it will be easier to forget about him. In other words, there is temptation there to simply forget the Lord and do something else. So this is a temptation. Of course, if you're on the other side of things and you're like, I struggle to survive every day, then you're going to have the opposite trial, the opposite temptation. You're going to say, is God really good? Does he really love me? Is he really with me? So you see that like, whether your times are good or whether your times are bad, there are still going to be ways for you to be tempted and tried. All that's really going to change is what your temptation and trial is going to look like. But what, but what these things are producing in us is they are bringing us to maturity and completion. Without suffering, there is no Christian maturity. You will never find a great saint who has not suffered. So if we want the result, it means that we're going to have to live with the process. This is why we would rejoice if we experience many trials. And he says it will bring us to lack nothing. But you say, but wait a minute. What if I am, what if I'm not ready? What if I'm not prepared? 
What if I hit the trial and I don't measure up? What if, let's be honest, what if I'm an idiot? What if I'm like, yo, God, I'm super, super dense. Like, how do you expect me to actually survive a test? The Lord says, don't worry, I got you. Because he says, at the end of the process, you will be lacking nothing. But then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and wisdom is how you survive a trial. You say, how do I make it to the end? How do I face temptation? Wisdom is really the key. You say, hmm, here's what God is doing. Here's what he's producing in me. You recognize what you have to gain. You recognize what you have to, to do to stay, to keep running. And you make that decision and say, I am not giving up, right? Wisdom is what leads us to endurance. So he says, what happens if I lack wisdom? What if I realize, yo, I'm kind of like a fool. How will I ever pass a test? Then he offers us hope. James is kind of famous for being like intense. And if you're not being careful, you can read him as being kind of judgy. But in reality, he's nothing of the sort. He actually is quite understanding and compassionate. He doesn't say, but remember, if you're a fool, you'll fail. No, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God, who gives, generally to, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What does he mean without reproach? He means if you ask God for wisdom, God will never go, man, find your own wisdom. No, God doesn't, God doesn't yell at us for asking. He says, I'm happy to give you everything you need to pass the test. I will give you wisdom. If we say, yo, God, I don't understand my life at all. Please explain it to me. Like, what's the purpose of all of this? He'll act, he will open the books and he'll go through it with you. Now, you may not like his assessment of the situation. He may end up saying something like, well, I could explain it, but you wouldn't really understand it. That's the answer he ends up giving to Job. He says, look, Job, I could... If, you, if I read the book of Job to you, you still won't have the, the theology to understand what's happening to you. So how about we just leave it with you trusting me? And Job says, okay, I'll do that. But if you bring it to God, he will give you the wisdom to walk through your situation. There's only one catch, and that catch is you have to trust him. If you say, Lord, I want your wisdom, you have to be willing to trust him. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now let me jump in at this point, because I know what some of you guys are thinking. Some of you are going to read a passage like this that says, but let, but let him not doubt. And you go, I am a doubter. Holy moly, am I a doubter. I am the greatest doubter that has ever doubted anything that God has said. Does this just mean that I lose? That I'm bad at Christianity? That I should find a less difficult religion? Like, where do I go from here? Holy smoke, am I plagued by doubt? What is James talking about? Where is he bringing it back to this? He said, it's totally cool to ask God for wisdom. What is wisdom? Anyone want to give it a shot? Define wisdom? All right, it's all good. The wisdom, is the, wisdom is the art of making good decisions, right? You know what? 
mm, I'm, I'm going to resist slandering this particular celebrity, but there are, there are some people who are acknowledged as making terrible decisions over and over again. And this is, this is the, the opposite of wisdom. Wisdom is the art of making good decisions. You say, this is what I know I should do, and then, you th and then you're, and you're correct, and then you do do it. That's wisdom. But it's, so when he says, but do not doubt, here's what he's talking about. If you pray, Lord, please show me the direction of my life, and then God shows you, and you say, uh, thank you, but no thank you, and you take your life in a different direction, that is doubt. Doubt is saying, Lord, I don't believe your plan for me is the best plan for me. I believe there might be some other alternative that's more effective than your alternative. Uh, the classic example of this, of course, is uh, during the, right before the, the, Jew, the Jewish people go off into exile, the king at the time, King Zedekiah, talks to the Lord's prophet, Jeremiah, and he says, oh, I'm really torn. What do I do? Do I keep fighting or do I surrender? So Jeremiah asks the Lord, and the Lord says he should surrender. If he surrenders, the king of Babylon won't hurt him and everything will be okay. But if he, but if he keeps fighting, things will be really definitively not okay. And, kings, and he, so Jeremiah tells the king, and the king goes, ooh, he goes, I really want to believe you. But, oh, man, I can't. I'm just too scared. So he keeps fighting, and things go really, really not well for him. When, when James says, do not, like, believe and do not doubt, he is not saying, don't be scared. Being scared is completely normal and fine, and um, even in some ways a good experience for us. When we say, do not, uh, do not doubt, He's not saying, don't be nervous about what, you know, hearing God's answer. Don't be, because that nervousness, that anxiety, is sometimes what drives us to God's throne the most. It's, in many ways, the entire point of being tested is for us to experience that pressure. The word tribulation in Greek literally means pressure. And that's how we experience it, isn't it? But what doubt really is, is once God speaks to you, once you hear him, once you know what you should do, believe him. Don't say, oh, are there any other opinions? No. Once you know what the Lord say, is, is telling you to do, obey him right away and follow. And, and follow it right to the end. That is what perseverance is and looks like. So we have this promise that trials will ultimately result in our completion in our perfection, that we have nothing to fear from them as long as we know and see what the Lord is doing in our lives. We have this uh, promise that if we seek the Lord's direction, he will give us wisdom that we will know what we ought to do. Now, it still won't be easy. Climbing up a mountain might be simple, but it still, is, it still is laborious. It still is difficult. It will still test everything that's within you. And even if we know what the Lord is calling us to do, that still doesn't mean it will be easy actually doing it. Uh, he says, but if the Lord tells you something and you reject it, if you, if you uh, doubt and you don't believe, then you are like a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. One second you say, I want to know what the Lord says. 
And you go, wait, I don't want to know what the Lord says. That's, that's double-mindedness. So then James gives us a clear example of what two kinds of trial might look like. Okay? He gives us a clear example of what two kinds of trial might look like. He says, let the lowly brother, he means the poor, or a slave perhaps, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, I prefer the, I prefer the translation low, uh, low position, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, right? Like the, like the cherry blossoms, which are here for like two weeks and then gone. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So, so what, what he's saying here is, if you want to see how trials and temptations might work, look at two opposite kinds of people and see how each of them is tried and tested. He says, here's the, here's the temptation of the poor. The poor man says, ah, why am I always so poor? I'm so poor. I'm so oppressed. Yarg, I hate those rich people. Ah, I hate my lot in life. Why am I like this? Does God even love me? But, but James says, no, a poor person who passes the test is someone who revels in his high estate. He goes, man, I'm so blessed. I'm last now, but one day I will be first. The Lord has chosen poor folks like me. And similarly, he says, the rich man might be tempted to, to be lifted up and proud. And, and the way that he overcomes is by remembering that, that he is passing away, that he's like this flower that's here today and next week it's gone. And by remembering that he is like lowly, that, that he himself can also pass the test while being rich. And once we understand that this is the way of talking, we can make a zillion examples out of this, okay? He uses the rich man and the poor man, but he could just as easily have said, let the smart student do this and not that. Let the failing student do this and not that. Let the ugly girl do this and not that. Let the beautiful girl do this and not that. And he could have gone on for this for like, you can, you can multiply examples of the person who is the have and the person who is the have not. And you know what you would see? Whatever differences we have as people, and we have zillions of differences, one thing we all have in common is we are all tested. We are all tempted. And we can all encourage one another to push on toward life. Dudes, if you're in a Friday night disciple group, sorry, I'm using dudes in a gender-neutral way here. If you are in a Friday night disciple group, you might have people that are 15 years older or younger than you. Encourage one another in the Lord. You might have wildly different temptations. You might have wildly different trials. But one thing you have in common is that all of you have temptations and trials. Some of you will have rich people problems. Some of you will have poor people problems. Y'all got problems. And the Lord can help us have perseverance in all of them. And all of them will lead us closer to the, to the heart of Jesus. Don't be afraid to pray for one another if you're super different. Because no one is so super different that they are immune to temptation. We all face it. We're all in the same boat. We're just maybe in different compartments of the same boat. 
This is a big part of, of, of James' message. He's saying, I know some of you are rich. I know some of you are poor. I know it's really easy for that to divide you. But I want to keep reminding you that God is all of our Father and Satan is all of our enemy. So let's not get distracted by, by fighting over which of us faces more temptation. And he repeats the thesis, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has provided to those who love him. How do we endure the testing? We keep our eyes on the crown of life. We say, Lord, but if this leads me closer to you, oh, blessed is the that does it, right? I'm willing to deal with torment, with suffering, with trouble, if only it leads me closer to you. And at the end of the day, you go, oh man, that sucked. But you know what? I'm a better person because I went through that. And that's the most we can take. And that, and that is where the joy of facing trials comes from. But one of the ways we might be tempted to, <laughs> tempted, to relate to all of our troubles is to say, why am I facing all of this? Does God really love me? Is God bringing all of this upon my life? We, we face uh, debt or cancer or uh, natural disasters or 14-foot tiger sharks. And we say, how could God bring this upon me? What, what, what produces this anyway? Like, am I, does God have it out for me? Did I offend him in some way? Like, why is God punishing me? And to this, James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So he goes, what happens? He goes, God did not put those Oreos in front of you. And don't you dare blame him for that. He goes, the issue is you, brother. Like, like God made you correct. And it's your own sinful desires that are causing you all of this trouble. So instead of blaming God and saying, how could God bring all of this sorrow upon me? What we find ourselves saying is, Lord, how are you able to be with me? How are you able to help me? What, what, what is it that, you can, that we can do together in the midst of all of this trouble. In other words, God has never been our enemy, and the coming of trials into our life is not God's fault. What is a fault is sin in us. What is a fault is the evil one who works evil in the world, and who's able to do it uh, to us because we have loved darkness rather than light. The problem is not God. The problem is me. And once we own that, the way that we view God will be very different, won't it? How often it is that when trials come upon us, people get, become angry with God as if God was the issue. But what God is really saying is, yo guys, let me be your AAA. How many of you guys have ever broken down at roadside? Anybody here ever broken down at roadside? Okay. Um... My car once had a flat tire at Rockaway Beach. And it was starting to get dark. Now, for those of you who've never been to Rockaway Beach, 
it's nice, but Rock the Rockaway area can be kind of rough. And at nighttime, it can be kind of rough. And being there at night with your small children is not the favorite experience. So you say, well, uh, I hope I have a way out of this situation, right? Now, if you're, if you're super boss, you can change your own tires, and that's not an issue for you. But for me, I'm just not, I'm not that person. Those of you who know me, you know, you know, we all have our weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses is changing tires. I, I got nothing for that. So part of this is, what do you do? You call, call AAA. Blessed is the man who has AAA when they break down in, at roadside, right? Uh, I highly recommend this for all of you who are new drivers. This is, it's, it's worth the expenditure. But what would happen if, you, if, if in saying, oh man, should I call AAA? Then you said, ah, but you know what? AAA, those are all people that really know about stuff about like fixing cars and helping and stuff. And like, I'm just so helpless and worthless and pointless and my car broke down and I have nothing, I don't know anything to do about it. They're so good at with cars and I'm so bad with cars. I don't think I should call them. What kind of craziness would that be, right? The whole reason why AAA says we are a, like a, a roadside assistance company is because they know that there are people who are bad with cars. Why did Jesus send us a Messiah? Why did the Lord send us a Messiah to save us from our sins? Was it because we were all such great people? No, it's because we needed to be saved from our sins. It's because we were broken down by the roadside and we didn't know how to change the flat tire of our souls. So why is it that when things go wrong, when we find that our soul has a flat tire, we say, oh, I'm in such bad shape right now. I don't think I can come to church. Oh, my heart is in such a bad state. I feel like I can't pray. I don't want to read the Bible right now. I feel like such a cranky person. Why do we find ourselves saying, oh, I broke down at roadside, so I guess I can't call AAA? The Lord says, call me. Come to me. Wrestle with me. Let's go. The whole point of this trial is to lead, me, is to lead you to me. Believe me. Trust me. Let's go. And that's why James says, hey, let's talk about where sin really comes from. Let's talk about where these problems really come from. Because he says, I'm the one who can help you. You are broken down. I am here to help. I love you. I have come to bring you life. So in the midst of these trials, let's not shut God out. Let's bring him near to us. Let's find him by faith. Let's be willing to come close and say, blessed is the problem that leads me to the Lord. Let's face the darkness and the coldness of our own hearts and say, Lord, oh, I really need my tire fixed. And let's call him up and bring him close to be able to work on us. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. In other words, he's saying, in the midst of our trials, where does our hope come from? Where does our hope come from? What is the hope 
that we can pin our endurance on, our steadfastness on? What is that thought that can keep us running in the midst of it all? Do you remember what the thought was that kept Jesus running in the midst of the cross? What was it? It was... I saw someone mouth it, so I'm curious if they'll, they'll say it out loud. What was it that, keep, what was that kept Jesus going when the weight of sin was too much for him? Hmm? Not, not, your will, not my will, but yours be done? That was definitely a big part of it. A big part of it was his relationship with the Father. The other big part of it is what he hoped to gain. He said, oh man, if I, ch- if I well, I don't want to say chicken out now, but it, that's really what it would have been, wouldn't it? If Jesus had stepped off the cross, he would have said, uh, nope, I don't need to go through this. But in courage, he kept going. You know what, do you guys know what courage is? Courage is not fearlessness. Those are two different qualities. A lion is not particularly courageous. For a lion to be courageous, it would have to fight a hippo, okay? It would have to fight something that is a real threat to it, and lions don't do that. When a lion faces something that is really like a match for it, it backs down. You know what, but what really is courageous is the person who is afraid but loves something so much more than their fear that they are willing to continue on. What, give, what allows a person to keep fighting? It's saying, well, I might die, but if I don't fight, the stuff I lose will be lost. That's where courage comes from. Courage comes from loving something more than you are afraid. You say, man, I'm really afraid to go up this, but holy smoke, what will be the view if I reach the top? And your, your desire, your love for the view is greater than your fear of going up the trail. Courage. Jesus drew his courage for, for, his love, for the love of the Father from, for him, and he drew his courage for his love and desire to save us. Because Jesus, if he didn't go to the cross, would not have had us. We would have been lost to him forever. And he could not countenance that possibility. He said, nope, if it's a matter of, if it's a matter of avoiding the cross but losing David... I'll go to the cross. And he chose it for us. Similarly, why is it that we can keep going? Why is it that we can choose to live another day? Why is it that we can choose to say, yes, thank you, I love you, when you want to just wring somebody's neck and you go, ah, I'm so frustrated, but you stay calm and you continue and you bless instead of curse and you overcome evil with good, and you say, I'll come to my job again tomorrow. (sighs) How do we do it? We say, Lord, you love me. You love me enough to teach me. You love me enough to, to sustain me in the midst of this, and I know that you're working in me for my good. And his love keeps you going. And similarly, we know that at the end of the road, there remains for us a crown of life, which is God himself. And we say, oh man, if I endure to the end, what do I have looking forward to me? I'll be closer to Jesus. And oh boy, will that be worth it. Let's be a people who perseveres. Let's be a people that allows the... um, 
the stillness, the complacency of our lives to be pulled back so that we can experience the trials and the temptations, the, the ripples in our soul that are trying aggressively to pull us closer to God. Let's be willing to face these things and not be ashamed of them. Let's be willing to face them together, to pray with each other, to admit our struggles. Let's be, and let's do it knowing that the end result will be glory. Will be glory. Without the tiger shark, Bethany Hamilton is just another surfer. Cool? Yes. A girl boss? Yes. But is she what she has become? Has she become a symbol of hope and courage and perseverance? Would she be my hero? I doubt it. Only trial can produce that. Only perseverance can produce that. Blessed is the trial that draws us closer to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are wise enough to be afraid. We know, Lord, that internalizing a message like this probably means more trouble. But we also know, Lord, that it is trouble that brings us closer to you. And blessed be the trouble, blessed be the heat that does so. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to identify, to see, to recognize the various trials and troubles in our life, and that we would recognize quickly what characteristics you're seeking to produce in us. We choose, Lord, to become gold refined in the fire. We choose, Lord, to receive the blessing of knowing you when things are not perfect. We remember, Lord, that without the cross there is no crown. And so, we ask that you would refine us further. We ask, Lord, that you would take all of our seemingly useless suffering and that you would glorify it and make it useful in pursuing your purposes. Lord, would you take our temptations and would you turn them on our head and make them our glory? Would you help us, Lord, to walk the path of Jesus? Jesus, on the night who he was betrayed, took bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. And as often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And similarly, after supper, he took the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said to them, take this, all of you, and drink it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, given for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you the truth, I will not drink this cup with you again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. We remember how how on the cross Jesus, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. 
that these people who had opposed him through every step of his ministry, who had misconstrued his, attention, his intentions many times, who had slandered him to Jews and Romans alike, that these people who had tried to trap him with their trick questions, who had fought him at every point of his ministry, and who had now brought him to the cross, who were gloating in his face as they jeered him, hanging naked before them, at his most exposed, at his most vulnerable. If ever there was a time to be cranky, it would have been now on the cross. Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He endured and he passed the test. He showed himself approved. And instead of a mere crown of thorns, he earned for himself the crown of life, which will never fade. Taking the bread, taking the cup today, represents a decision. It represents a path taken. It represents choosing not to push that button that will call the angels and let you get off the cross. It represents choosing the path that instead of saying, take this cup from me, says, but not my will, but yours be done. Taking the bread today means choosing the cross, choosing the trial, choosing to, choosing to, to show kindness when instead you could snap and, and shout at people. There is a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. If you, and if you have the guts to come up here and, and eat the bread and drink the cup, come because you say, I'm willing to choose the path of life today. I'm willing to follow Jesus. And what you'll find at the end of it is that all of that suffering that seemed so graphic and needless and empty will become for you the very forging that leads to, to your perfection. So if you have the courage to dare, let's come with boldness and receive from the table of the Lord. Let's come. So, Father, we come to you pre-trial, mid-trial, post-trial. And, Lord, we choose now to give you thanks for how you are building us. Help us to have the courage, to have the faith, to follow you through the whole process. And teach us the endurance that keeps running no matter what. And, Lord when we are afraid, help us to get back in the water. Help us to keep competing. That during the times where we're empty and we got nothing, that Lord, you would be the one who keeps us moving because we know that you are with us and at our right hand. So Lord, I pray not just for the people who are here today, but for us at our lowest points of the week, 
when our customers are unbearable, when our coworkers are annoying, when our family members keep nagging us, when we are mid-trial, Lord, in that moment, would you give us special grace to continue? And would we, would we see you there at our right hand? Help us to continue with the endurance of Jesus that we might receive the same crown and sit down at your right hand. We bless your work in us today. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As the strangely happy tested of the Lord, let's uh, sing with joy together. Let's stand up. Father, this is all well and good for us to sing on Sunday. But would you help us, Lord, to sing again on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and maybe twice on Saturday that, Lord, we would be able to give the trials, to give the stress to you each day. Blessed be the stress that drives us to you and not away from you. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to find you in each day of our week, that you would be very near to us, that you would be shaping us, molding us, forging us, and that we would be refined gold that would, that would pass every purity test we could ever be given. We bless, Lord, your work in us this week, be it pleasant or unpleasant. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to recognize all that you're doing. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. This is the official end of our service. Let's love one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's be together in all of the trials of this week. Amen.